We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Neil McCready, Clark Ford Studio this uh morning so here's what we're bringing to you as we post on the message board we are uh having to piece together the podcast a little bit so you will have i'm going segment. to the dentist okay that's fair enough there you yeah. go. just okay. cut out all the drama that, that six, something's going it's, on it, it's it's hard to get a dental appointment and mine's been made for months and that's what we're doing today's so, the day okay so neil's going to the dentist what we're going to do i'm going to talk to him for about 20 minutes 25 minutes 30 minutes i don't know something like that and then after that, Brian Rippey and I will carry the rest of the show. We talk uh, a good bit of Ole Miss, Arkansas, just talk Skyline Chili at one point. I don't know. Just hang out. We're just kind of chatting last night. That was that part was recorded on, uh, what is today, Tuesday? My God, Tuesday. it's been a long week. Uh, <laughs> that was recorded on Monday night. It's been an interesting week. Nonetheless, so Neil and I, Tuesday morning, Brian and I, Monday night. That is your Tuesday podcast. If, you are, uh, if you're listening and you'd like to take advantage of the website, we do have a website at troublegrove.com. Yesterday, coincidentally, we threw out a promo code. Um, <laughs> you can uh, you can get it free through Thanksgiving. This is going to stay live through the end of the week, through Saturday. Through Saturday we'll at out. midnight. Yeah. Ole Miss plays at 6.30 on Saturday. So about the time the game ends. Yeah. You need the time to... we sign off air, you will have to have, 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 have signed yes. up by then. So uh, what you do is you head to Rebel Grove. There is a, uh, a sign. When you get to the sign-up page, Eli 10, because you know, they're retiring Eli's number in two weeks. It just made total sense. Eli 10 is the promo code. They're all one word together, and you can get free rebelgrove.com through Thanksgiving, um, the gift that keeps on giving. So uh, anyway, that uh, that is there. Podcast brought to you by the Blue Sky. They're on Highway 6 West, the Oxford Exxon. I've been telling you, keep doing it. Head on over. Take a selfie. Anywhere around the convenience store, the gas station, your pick, however you want to do it around the location, tag Oxford Exxon on Twitter, hashtag Blue Sky Rebels, and you'll be automatically entered to win an official Ole Miss football helmet. Also, lunch specials, five sixty nine, two sides bread, 32-ounce drinks, speed by plus, speed pass plus app to earn points and save money and more. So all that at the Blue Sky location here in Oxford and throughout Mississippi. And again, coming to you from the Clark Ford studio. We are Clark Fords in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number. Ask for our buddy Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. 
right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote. And the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around or you can do what I've done. What I recommend that you do, hop into a Clark Ford today, 662-257-1900. Guest, join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Trey Wallace will join me later today. You'll see that and hear that on Wednesday. That'll be on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. We'll talk about Tennessee. What Ole Miss can expect on Saturday night when they head to uh, Neyland Stadium. Uh, Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to have a burger. Po' Boy, great appetizers. Uh, full bar, great beer selection. The whole deal there at Rafters. Be a great place Saturday to watch football. Games get going. Auburn and Arkansas at 11 o'clock. There's the I can't even remember who the 2.30 game is. Kentucky and Georgia. Oh, yeah, Kentucky and Georgia. That game's at 2.30, and then, of course, Ole Miss at uh, 6.30. There's other games throughout the day. be a great place to hang out and uh, enjoy yourself while you get ready for uh, Rebels and Balls. Again, Rafters, Music and Food on the Square in Oxford, also in New Albany, and then Rafters on the Water at Sardis. So a lot of content around Lane Kiffin up on the site from uh, his Monday media opportunities and then whatnot as we move forward to uh, to Ole Miss and Tennessee. I- I'm kind of proud of us because you it got brought up at the press conference. You mentioned it in your, in your piece yesterday too. We went through a whole podcast yesterday without mentioning Kiffin's return to Knoxville because it, it's been a long time. It doesn't, yeah. frankly, Tennessee kind of wants him back um, in a way. I mean, it, there's no hostility as he goes into that place. I mean, nobody's still pissed off at Lane Kiffin, really. Well, they, they got that out of their system when he yeah. went back as Alabama's OC. Yeah. And it's been 13 years. They've had a lot of screw ups since then. Yeah. I mean, a lot of bad coaches. It's hard to blame it on Lane Kiffin. I mean, that was anymore. before Derek Dooley been a minute yeah it's been a minute so i don't think that's a big storyline he got asked about it yesterday he gave a funny answer i thought yesterday he was pretty focused yeah, but he's pretty locked in well he kind of got away with one on saturday hey let's 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 lock in yeah it, it, it could have gone either way i think he i think he is well aware that it could have gone either way comes down to one play Ball and air. I talked to Chance Campbell yesterday before we got started. Chance said that was scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Arkansas's good. Here's the thing that's interesting. I asked Chance about this. Is what do you think about them? Because they're good. They they can do. They can do everything. Mm-hmm. They'll get after you. So if you're Ole Miss, the one thing you can take out of this is that you've played two really good SEC teams. I'm not sure Tennessee's. Their last two games have been against good SEC teams. Yeah, it's Missouri and South Carolina. We'll, we'll so we find out. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's. I know Ole Miss fans. There's a there's a a level of dis dislike for Arkansas that that I probably did not previously understand. Mm-hmm. But they're good. The whole they're a fluke thing. No, they're not. No, they're good. They're legitimately good. So this is interesting, uh, and I, I kind of want to get to that on the podcast. I'm going to try later in the week or next week. I've been following him on Twitter for a while, but Adam McClintock, he's a big analytics guy, does just stuff. I think it's like college football professor, CFB professor, or something like that. I'm not really sure exactly. But anyway, um, and I'm looking for, uh, looking for it here. I thought this was interesting. So he has a post this morning. It says, moving the goalpost. As fans, we all do it. Expectations are one thing before the season. Then we get to drift as the season progresses. This can often mask improvements or regression in teams as the season moves on relative to what was originally expected. I mean, I yes. think in some ways that's happening with Ole Miss right now because, I mean, going into the year, everybody told everybody, hey, nine and three. Everybody, oh, I don't care how you get there done, sign it up. Sure. Going, hey, how do we get to 11 and one? I mean, you know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of – 
There's a lot of stuff there. So he said he uses a metric that compares teams to their preseason expectations. Protecting what they are from what drifting expectations have framed them to be makes spotting improvement or regression much easier and less subjective. He's posting some of those numbers. And again, I want to I deep dive into this. But for the SEC, he lists the top four SEC team progression indices. Number one, Kirby Smart, Georgia. Even beyond what their expectation was, plus 16.45. And again, I don't know what the number exactly means, but nonetheless. Yeah, but they're even better than we thought they'd be. Yeah, so yeah, Kirby sure. Smart, 16.45. Okay. Sam Pittman, plus 9.17. Okay. Josh Heupel, plus 8.58. And Lane Kiffin, plus 6, six plus .44. Yeah. So those are the top playing above the expectation from the preseason teams yeah. in the SEC. I'm by that. Four. Yeah, Georgia, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Ole Miss, a matchup this weekend. Again, Heupel at 8-5-8 and Kiffin at 6-4-4. So, just found yeah, it interesting. I can buy that. Uh, Michigan, 10.92. Scott Frost at Nebraska tells you how bad Nebraska potentially could have been, plus 10.26 there for Nebraska. Well, I mean, they damn they near – played well. They damn near beat Michigan. Yeah. They lost that – see, what happens to them is they lose that first game and everybody goes, that's it, ball game, night-night. Okay, the, but yeah. it doesn't end there. Um, only three Pac-12 coaches are showing any positive progression based off preseason expectations. So Arizona State, um, number one is by far and away Oregon State because they've played. Really oh yeah, well yeah. So that guy's done season. a hell of a job. Jonathan Smith, thirteen point four four. He's done a point. great job. Arizona State, UCLA. UCLA. Yeah, those are the uh, the ones. Dave Aranda leading the Big 12 for Baylor, 13.16. Yeah, Dave's a good coach. Good coach. Yeah. Pitt, Syracuse, Wake, and Boston College in the ACC if you'd like to know how bad a league sucks. Because mm. those are playing above their heads, but my God. Yeah. I mean, bad football. All right, so I, I, I know you at least want us to mention it. Um, Yesterday, you mean to go ahead and take this? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot I want to say. I just don't know. There's so much what's in it, it literally for me would to take say a deep it. Dive. Yeah, I, I know. I know because we. I mean, we look like we're whatever. Um, and I live here, oh, and yeah. you live here. Yeah, and there are other people involved, and there were things that happened yesterday that I thought was sad. But it's an industry deal, and that's it why is. it is that, relevant. That to talk part about. is relevant. Um, so if you've been under nine thousand rocks, uh. Quarterback prospect Devin Brown tweeted a screenshot of what Yancey Porter had uh, had written on, I guess, the message board or on a, in a story um, at, at, at the Ole Miss Spirit and said that that would be hard to do because he had not spoken to, to Yancey. Comes back right after that, posts another tweet between, with a DM response between the two where Devin asked, how can you quote me when you haven't spoken to me? And Yancey essentially came back and said, can you please take that down? I've removed what I said because it's making me look very bad. Um, then gets online. Yancey does on the spirit, makes a message board post with an apology to Devin Brown, to 24-7, to Ole Miss, um, and says that he implied, well, he said, but anyway, he said he implied that he had spoken to Devin directly when he had used a third-party stringer, I believe was the quote-unquote to that, and that that person um, was essentially the person at fault and that he apologized to Devin for what was uh, what was said. Um, it since has created all sorts of chaos in the uh, the online 
team site community, if you uh, if you will. Um, to I, I know Ole Miss fans are more worried about the recruit than anything else. Devin did come back after that and say it was one reporter. He had a great time. He was not indicative of his Ole Miss visit or anything to do with the Rebels. By the way, along those lines, real quick, yeah. uh, Zach Barry, who covers recruiting for us, uh-huh. uh huh, he has communicated with Devin That's over correct. the course of the last day. Devin's game this week, their high school, uh-huh. is uh, the game is tomorrow. Okay, so he got back and had a lot of film, a lot of practice. They're they're expected to talk today, and so okay. as soon as they talk, uh, we will get the story. Zach will get that story, and we'll we'll push it out there. And if you're not it will be premium, so if you want to read it, promo code ELI10, E-L-I-10, and you get that story and all other stories that we write through Thanksgiving, and then you should just re-up and become a subscriber. That's correct. Because the price never goes up at rebelgrove.com. <laughs> it's nineteen ninety eight all over again. Uh, these prices were set when James Madison was president, and they are still the prices today. That's true. It's speaking of the entire industry. It's almost kind of the entire industry's fault because nobody wants to be the one to be more expensive. So out of all of them, nobody got, goes, "Hey, yeah, like what are we doing? Why why are we charging the same thing now as, as later or whatnot?" Um, it's 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 sad on a number of fronts. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous. It's I I didn't even really try. Well, I did not get involved, but I did not even try to have any association with anything yesterday and my phone rang somewhere around 7,000 times uh, between noon and 6 p.m. with people just telling me things. I would be very shocked if there were actually a stringer. Um, There was no stringer. Yeah, it it does not appear to be the case. Um, Look, I'm I'm not picking on anybody here. Yeah. The quote was made up. Yeah. Um, The quote was publicized, was published, and – it was published, in my opinion, with the expectation that Devin Brown would never see it. And, it, Nil- it the- and Neil and I have the problem here, I mean, just being honest as we speak to thousands of people as we're just sitting here in the room together, is we know so much that we're yeah. not going to air right here, and it makes for a very complicated podcast segment, if we're honest. Because we're trying to be honest with you guys, we're trying to carry a dialogue, but at the same time, I it's, mean, it wasn't. Damn. Neither one of us were surprised. Yeah. And so it's, I've been here 13 years, a little over 13, 13 and a half now, which is hard to believe, but um, it's always been something that you've had to battle. I've never understood it. I don't want it, I, I, I don't want it to be personal on any level. And people are like, why not? I'll tell you why. I generally like Yancey. He's fine um, as a person. I don't. I don't think he's a journalist. And I get. I get. What's the word, Chase? I, I. I don't like it when people do that. I don't. I don't. It's been a problem with Ole Miss. I have. When you excuse behavior because of titles and, and yeah. whatever, when you're still doing the exact same job as everybody else. Yeah, and and you know it's. I don't think you can do. I don't think you can be a journalist and then do some of the things. I think the lines get blurred. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I felt bad when I saw his son involved on Twitter. You know, his son's my son's age. They're friends. I, I, you see stuff like that, and you're like, I just wish it could kind of all go away. And then on the other hand, 
I can't properly get into this conversation without blaming Ole Miss, if I'm honest. Because Ole Miss could have changed some of this a long time ago, and for whatever reason or reasons, they've chosen not to. And frankly, I don't think anything's going to happen now. And so it's difficult, like you said, to sit here and have a conversation about it. And it's absolutely a topic in our industry right now, or business, or whatever it is that you call I mean, us. Everywhere. Our I mean, field, it, it, we're all talking about it because people like me and Chase and uh, Gabe DeArmond, who you're familiar with, and, and um, people like that have always been kind of on the attack about we you can't you you can't be a fan and cover recruiting you just can't mm-hmm. um you've got to be defensive of the people that you're covering not steering them and in, it's just journalism 101 here right someone asked me yesterday and I thought this was a valid question so I'll address this what would you do if that happened on your site? Well, the person would be terminated immediately. Um, had I ever in Mobile made up a quote? You mean times a story just needed one quote? <laughs> yeah, we just go, hey, if I could place that right there. Oh, boy. I mean, how many times yeah, yeah, like yeah. at SEC spring meetings where I'm sitting in my hotel room while – the family is out at the beach and the only thing stopping me from the beach is a quote that I probably could easily make up, but I needed the person to say it. Yeah. If I got caught doing that, my career would be over. I'd have to do something else. And then what really bothers me about it, and this isn't about Yancey or anybody in particular, but it's, there's still this stigma on sites like ours, mm-hmm. even better, though it's but it's better. Yeah, but it's sure still better. there. Of man, those guys aren't really journalism people. Those guys aren't really reporters. Those are just fanboys. You know when when what's his face the professor out at Ole Miss attacked me on Twitter JT a couple Thomas. of times. Yeah, it's always hey, why don't you stick to your fan site? Why don't you stick to being a local sports blogger? And somebody who had had direct communication with the ANSI, frankly. Yeah. Remember, because they were going back and forth during all this. And so when you get lumped in with that, it's really frustrating. Like, I've had people ask me before, why don't you go to the baseball games? Mm Because I like baseball. I like baseball a lot. And a lot of times, either Ole Miss has prospects or the team that Ole Miss is playing has prospects that I wouldn't mind watching. Like this year, the Cubs have the seventh pick in the draft. Okay? Yeah, sure. Like I use some examples because I don't know who comes here or not, but like there's a pitcher at Arkansas, Paulette, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peyton who yeah. Br- Brett Taylor, who covers the Cubs for Bleacher Nation, has already talked about, hey, he's very much on the Cubs' radar. Okay. Okay? So before anybody does the Arkansas thing, that's that's why. And there's other players. There's a there's a infielder at one of the SEC teams. I can't remember. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, matter. Bandy has 14. Whatever. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't 14, matter. Whatever. But if I go to that game, I'm always very cognizant of, okay, well, what do you wear? When people stand up to cheer, if I stand up to see over people that are cheering, does it look like I'm cheering? Well, I mean, I have the 
because of, of the two of us, I have the most experience with this because I go to basketball games and I'm just it, it it's the only sport I don't cover. I am trying to just be social with people around sure. me. I go to basketball games and you do you have you're constantly in your head even when just because something crazy happens, especially at basketball, you're so close quarters. Everybody goes, "Hey, trying to high five you and stuff." And you're like, "I'm I don't want to be rude, but I'm trying to right. avoid interactions." Right. And it's it, it's a very complicated right. thing as you're as you're right. doing it. And so you know you what what he's been allowed to do over the years is really blur the lines. This isn't about him. It's just about Ole Miss. I mean, I'm I'm criticizing Ole Miss here. They've allowed him to attend press conferences as a media member. They've allowed him to attend football practices as a media member. As a member of the media on a press credential. And then that organization, Chuck Roundsville does this, used to do this all the time. Well, I'm not really a media member. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then why are you here? Because I'm only here because I have a press pass. Literally, only this is not open to the public. It's not open to fans. It's not open to my neighbor down the street who's a big fan, mm-hmm. right? Because he, why, why can't he get in? Because he doesn't have a media credential. So if you're in with the media credential, then yes, you are absolutely a member of the working press, and you are therefore subject to the rules. That's the way I look at it. I don't know that everyone at Ole Miss agrees. In fact, I think over the years, the people at Ole Miss have been, why can't you just shut up and just get along? And this is why. Because when it happens, you all get lumped in. It's like, see? Well, because frankly, when it first happened, I went, can we still get Devin Brown? Like, that was the first thought in my head as soon as it happened was, well, what happened? Well, because like, like last night, Zach anticipated talking to Devin. Yeah. And, you know, um, and it was about 10 o'clock. And for those that don't know, my daughter Caroline does a lot of our – helps with some of our video stuff – gives her a part-time job and lets her do some things and align on her resume. And she does some really nice work. And she said, Hey dad, the link that I sent you with chance Campbell's corrupted. Let me redo it. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll wait up. And about that time I texted Zach and I said, Hey man, no pressure at all. But do you think it's coming tonight? Cause Zach likes me to edit his work before it goes public. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I, I've already tried twice. I think it's safe for you to go to bed. I'll get him tomorrow, whatever. And, and sub- since then they, they actually communicated last night, but okay. But regardless, the first thing I thought, too, was, well, we'll never talk to that kid. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was the very first thing in my mind. I went, ooh. Yeah, and, and that's you know a big thing. And Because the, to a high school kid, media is kind of the same. When we're all hitting him up. Yeah, they're not differentiating. Yeah, how do you like, – okay, well, that's the 247 site, and that's the rival site, and that's the on three site, and that's the Jackson Clare. That's why a lot of them have just picked one dude from each network and said, hey, I'm dealing with that dude. Well, it's why – so people understand. It's one of the reasons why with Arch Manning, as an example, we've let Sam Spiegelman handle it because yeah. Sam and Arch now have a relationship. Arch knows who Sam is, mm-hmm. and Sam's really good at what he does. And so when he talks to Arch Manning, he'll ask him about, hey, you just went to – I think he went to Texas, or is going to Texas this he's weekend. He's going to Texas. So he'll say, hey, tell me about the trip to Austin, and they'll get some stuff. And then if in the conversation Georgia comes up or Ole Miss comes up or Clemson or whatever comes up, they'll talk about that too, and he'll distribute it to all the sites. Right. And that works better than 30 of us bombarding Arch Manning every day. Yeah. And so when this kind of stuff happens, you get the stigma on you that you can't trust those guys. And those guys include us. Right. And I feel like 
Yeah, you can absolutely trust me. Because if I talk to Devin Brown, I'm not steering Devin Brown to or from Ole Miss. It's not my decision. And I've covered recruiting for a, lo- a long time now. I mean, thank- I mean, frankly, I don't know the impetus, but we had the, the, the ethics policy stuff got sent to us again like three weeks ago or something. I don't even know what the reason for that was, but maybe you do. But, well, I don't, but there are people yeah. in every network, and let's be real here, including the Rivals Network, that are cheerleaders, that when yeah. they get kids on the phone, they, they try to steer them. Mm-hmm. I take great pride as a recruiting reporter when I recover recruiting. You've seen me do it. Hey, we'll be off this phone in three minutes. In fact, set a timer. And hang up. And in three minutes, just hang up on me. <laughs> just hang up. And the kid's like, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm totally serious. Tell me when you're ready. And I've had kids go, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. Seriously? Yeah. And we're done in like two minutes and 20 seconds. And the kid is like, I can't believe this just happened. But I got what I needed. Where did you go? How did the visit go? Did you like, did you commit? Okay. Where else are you going? Are you, have you narrowed your list of schools? And if a kid goes, no, I'm wide open. Okay. then I'm not going any further than that because if a kid tells me I'm still wide open, then he's nowhere close to a decision and there's no point well, pushing it further. Well, we would be court. I mean, again, I'm, I'm never using the friends word with players. Be cordial with players down the road when they're on campus or even once they graduated or they finished or whatever, and you talk to them and they go, yeah, I'd have guys who kept me on the phone for like 14 minutes. They're going, asking what? I, I, I need a transcript. Like, what could you possibly talk about for 14 minutes? And you'll hear people go, well, I'm trying to build a relationship with a 16-year-old boy? <laughs> what in God's name are you talking about? No, it's simple. You visited Ole Miss this past weekend. How did it go? What did you like? Was there anything that you didn't like? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is always no. I loved everything about it. Okay. Uh, did you commit? No, I didn't commit. Okay. Are you taking other visits? Yeah, I'm going to Alabama. Or I'm going to Tennessee. I'm going to Missouri, whatever. Hey, do you know the dates on those? Yeah, I'm going for this game. I'm going for this game. Do you have an, a timetable in your mind as to when you're going to make a decision? Yeah, I think I'm going to try to do it before my start of my senior year, or I'm going to try to do it by Christmas, or no, I'm going to do it on signing day, or I have no idea. And then I'll always, hey, do you know, have you, are you planning a return trip? Yeah, I'm going to come back for X. Okay, cool. Take Good. it easy. Have a great week. Good luck. <clears throat> and I don't, I don't know why it gets complicated. Because recruiting coverage is the simplest thing in the world if you do it right. It's a mad lib. But as what's happened to frustrate some people, I think, and maybe this applies to Yancey, I don't know. But as it's changed in social media and kids can use Instagram and they can use Twitter and they can use Snapchat or whatever other outlets that they use to communicate, they can control their own story and avoid talking to a lot of reporters and I think it's the difference between our site and a lot of sites. I'm not on their sites. I can't comment on their site. But it's one of the differences with us is that we'll freely tell you, hey, we haven't been able to touch base with them yet. Simple as that. We, we've tried, couldn't get him. Or, hey, we've touched base and we're going to talk later, and when we do, we'll bring it to you. Mm-hmm. And simple as that. We're not going to harass kids. And the older I've gotten and the older my kids got and I saw firsthand kind of what it's like to be a high school kid, I said, no, 
because those kids are just like my kids. They just happen to run fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that doesn't. I'm, yeah. you're not, we're not going to bombard them with yeah. with crazy. There's not a huge added maturity level simply for based off athletic ability. No, and yeah. and, and I also know enough about people and stuff that when someone says, "Well, I'm I'm looking at 12 schools," I'm like, "Okay, well then you're not you're not really serious about this yet," which is fine. You don't have to be serious about this as a high school sophomore. Yeah, I'm cutting it to 10. Okay, like we do stories. Like the other day, we did a story on an eighth grader, not our site, but our network. And I was like, "What are we doing?" Because I have a ninth grader. And if you were to say to Carson, hey, where are you going to go to college? He wouldn't even know how to start answering that question today. He'd go, well, I mean, um, Ole Miss is here, and my sisters go to Arkansas, and my dad wants me to go to Iowa for a visit so that he can go get stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of still want to play soccer, so I might look at some soccer schools. And – I don't even have my driver's permit yet, so I don't know. And frankly, that's more than fair. Yeah. So how do you write a serious recruiting story about that? Unless it's baseball where they recruit, where they commit as fourth graders, and you, yeah. it's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a totally different. It's a totally yeah, different yeah, deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to you call. And, and before and, yeah. and Carl Lafferty, if he heard that, would he not would even, agree? Yeah, he would yeah. not even be offended. He would just kind of chuckle and go. Yeah, like I'll, I'll call him, like where you at? He's like, oh, in Fort Myers, my God, they, they taking the tea away yet? Basically, <laughs> <laughs> calls me an asshole. And Are you on. recruiting <laughs> the kid or the dad who's soft pitching to him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I, I, that, that, that's it for now. I mean, we'll. we'll there's always something. I'm sure something else will will will, will pop up this, but nonetheless, that's. Do you uh, think anything comes of this, of significance? No, I don't either. No, I don't. Um, no, I think today's going to be optics day, and then we'll we'll it'll it'll do whatever it does from there. Uh, I will say this about us. Yep. Not our network, our site. Zach does a really good job covering recruiting. Um. I help him some, but not a lot. He does a really good job of it. We do not harass kids. And I promise you that we would never, ever, 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 ever make up a quote. In fact, Zach's really careful. If you notice in his quotes, he'll use the three dots, the ellipses. Yeah. He didn't get the whole quote down. And so instead of trying to fill it in, he said, hey, I I missed some stuff here. And here's the rest of the quote. Yeah. Go to great lengths to make sure that we're accurate because it's important, not for Ole Miss. It's important for the kid, yeah. Whoever the kid may be. By the way, they're expecting a basketball commitment today. We have a story in the system. Okay. When it comes, um, it's ready for it. it's a top seventy-five ish kid in the country. Okay. Four star has a bunch of offers. It's a pretty big deal. Okay, so that at rebelgrove.com. Neil is now going to get his teeth looked at. Uh, Brian Rippey joining me for the remainder of the show. So uh, sit back. Again, this was recorded on Monday night. So in case something went crazy between then and when you listen, it is what it is. So uh, myself, Brian Rippey, the rest of the show. And then we will uh, talk to you with Neil again tomorrow morning back in our YouTube feed too. Everything back regularly scheduled. So uh, listen to, uh, to us and we'll talk to you then. Brian Rippey now joining us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Brian, you're back in the uh, the Metroplex. You're in town over the weekend. We played some golf on Friday in the Blue Delta event. We talked to you after the game on a Saturday, where you you found a very strategic location to have the conversation with us. I, I give you credit for the uh, 
the quietness as you were in the Grove area on Saturday night as we uh, we talked to you on the post game show. But what was uh, what was the travel like? What was sort of uh, getting back home after the weekend? You probably had a little bit of a, a day to recover a little bit, I would assume. Yeah, we we bit the bullet and did the 9:30 a.m. flight out of D- out of Memphis back into DFW on Sunday, uh, as opposed to like the only other affordable option was nine like 7:30 p.m. and that's really running into a terrible Monday. And I needed every bit of that recovery time. But it was yeah, it was a good weekend. I had a great time at uh, Mossy Oak. I mean, that was a uh, hard to beat that kind of Friday. Like I, you can't really top it. Weather was perfect. Great golf courses, a ton of fun. It was good getting back home. Yeah, I hadn't been to like a. I'd been to a sporting event since, but going back to a college football game and kind of being back home and seeing some folks was, was pretty awesome. I enjoyed it. We hit this on Saturday night with you for just a second, but, I mean, obviously you have more time to talk now, not as hectic with where you were, what we were trying to do for the post-game show. Because somebody asked me something about the Grove a couple of days ago, and I said that I've walked through the Grove, but I haven't done the full Grove experience. And, I mean, seriously, probably a decade when you look at covering games. And, and, and I mean, everybody makes fun of me, but I don't really want to spill something on myself before I go into the game. And then in a lot, a lot of the year, you get so freaking hot that when you walk into the stadium, you're sweating and you're, you're just doused in it. So, and, and I don't know that I've watched a game in the stands since, like, maybe – I mean, seriously, maybe college. It's, it might have been 2005, 2006, something like that, so I've been in the stands. What is it like going back into the, 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 the game day as a fan, as a spectator, or whatever you want to call it? I mean, how, what do you kind of notice or take in that maybe you wouldn't have before you got out for the media there for a while? Yeah, I was really kind of the same way. I was trying to think of the last time I had done the Grove thing. There were a couple of times at the like my junior year of college where I tried to kind of balance both, and I literally ran into the exact same thing you said. Like, one, like you can't really partake in the whole Grove thing working that night. Two, you're not really dressed the same as everyone some degrees. I mean, it depends on how, you know, whatever you want to dress for as far as the game's concerned. But regardless, you end up sweating, and by the time you make it to the game, and then you're – kind of the only only clown with a backpack walking through the grove and it's not like the cooler backpacks is very clear it's like this guy come from like the lyceum what's what's his deal so it's just a hassle so i hadn't probably done it since 2015 ish somewhere i may have taken a game off my senior year and i but i can't think of one i've still never sat in that student section don't plan on it now uh clearly i just meant for college but it was like in terms of like taking it in it's I don't know, like this probably sounds corny, but like kind of the whole like pageantry element of like there's this many people in this one place kind of all captivated by every single play of a game was really cool. And, you know, Vaughn Hemingway is not the biggest place in the world. And we got spoiled, I guess, going to Alabama and Auburn and LSU and those other places where it gets a little bit louder. But just seeing a packed stadium and a packed crowd and kind of being in the middle of it uh, was was really kind of entertaining. I, I found myself at times just kind of being mesmerized by the crowd more so than the actual game itself. Because as you know, when you're sitting in the press box and you get a little bit better, like I guess vantage point or feeling of it when you have the older press boxes with the windows open, but when the windows are closed, you're really kind of closed off from the crowd. Things don't get really loud. And so I think I really just enjoyed the live aspect and intensity for the lack of a better phrase of being at a college football game because it really is unique to really anything else sporting event wise you kind of had that in both sports too because I talked to you right after I guess the 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 Ole Miss baseball when they were out in Dallas there at the start of the year you went to at least a couple of those games I mean you were kind of sitting behind the dugout heckling five and just having a big time in that one too I mean you're you're able to kind of take in some more stuff and I think there's a certain amount of oh wow this is neat I can leave before the damn game is over if I want to I don't have any like 
work-related responsibility that w- whatever I want to do, I can kind of piece out around here. Yes, there's definitely a bit of that. I enjoyed yelling at I think your voice travels more in a more cavernous MLB ballpark, so I think I had that going for me. If I tried to heckle him at Swayze, it might not have gone as well. Um, so I actually think I had a better chance of hearing me. I'll, uh, if I ever run into him again, I'll have to check back on that one. But, yeah, it is – It is. it's very bizarre. Like, because I got out and then we had COVID, so there was no going to games. That That Texas series was the first sporting event I'd been to as a spectator since I think I went to a hockey game before I moved here. Um, but it was, it's really weird. Cause I like, I'm trying to figure out like who's up in the bullpen. I'm like, Oh, actually it doesn't matter. Like I'll probably just go order another beer and then get out of here by the eighth or so. So it's very, uh, very relaxing, I guess it's, you know, you get caught up in the business and working in it. You don't really think of going to games as relaxing. And I think that's probably the best way to describe it. You put, you sent me uh, the, the this week's podcast are well done on Sunday night. That's been up since Monday morning. If anybody has missed that, it's in the feed for MPW Digital. You've been doing this for a few weeks. They've been very, very highly regarded, well-publicized, well-received as far as uh, letting him explain some football to us. We we kind of got the ability to start the week with him doing it and let Pete kind of finish it at the end of the week in our, in, in our pregame show. But you're sort of like me. I mean, we think we know sports well enough. We probably can do baseball better than other things. But we're both pretty football dumb once those people start talking. We realize what all we don't know. What's it been like just sort of being in those conversations? What do you feel like you've kind of learned or taken on, either about the sport or about this team, from just talking to him each week? Yeah, he carries the show. Like, I was trying to – not that he was timid beforehand, but he knew – when we were talking about it, I'd known Weldon for four or five years before that. We were friends in college, and he, he was not timid, but he was a little like, oh, I'm sorry, that didn't make any sense, or like wanting to like cut stuff. And it's like, dude, this is a, like – I just pull in a microphone and we go. Like, you don't have to be perfect. That's kind of the beauty of podcasting. And once he kind of got the hang of that, he carries the damn show. I got to the point where I was like, do I have to start negging this kid? Like, he's, he's just carrying the entire show on his back. But from a learning perspective, I think one of the most – interesting parts of it because you mentioned like we are compared to those guys very football dumb and I've never tried to pretend that I know you know enough about the inner workings of some sort of scheme or something like that I've tried to get better of how I watch football like not always watching the ball um I think really just the exercise of ripping through and going back through the game the next day where you can particularly if it's on watch ESPN you can do the fast forward real quick you can kind of get through it pretty quick and just watch other aspects I think that's helped me kind of formulate better questions for him because if I think I'm on to something, I can kind of throw what I have in my head at him and then he articulates it better and explains, no, here's what you're actually seeing or yeah, there's actually something to that. So there's been a lot of that. So in some ways it's been confidence building, but to his credit at times when I'm like off on something, he's like, no, not actually not at all. So he has not been afraid to like push back when I'm off base, but he's been great. I've really enjoyed talking to him on Sunday. That's probably why I look up every time I'm like, Damn, I told him an hour 10 again, and it's hour 45, but whatever. It's been a, been a ton of fun. I've learned a lot. So, essentially, you get to play the useful idiot, and it plays really well into letting him just talk is what you're saying. Pretty much. It's like teeing it. Like, I guess it's like soft toss. Like, putting it on a tee is probably selling myself a little bit short because in soft toss, you can have bad soft tosses where the kid ends up hitting one off his nose or something because it's not actually there. I have to give him something halfway educated. And then he'll just crush it or whatever. And so I feel like that's kind of my role. And it's a, uh, it's not like strictly Q&A, but I try to tee up some sort of question and get him going on something um, for 10 to 15 minutes or so at a time. So, I'd, uh, yeah, it's very uh, useful idiot soft tossing, I think is what I'd call it. What do you make of this football team right now? I mean, obviously we talk about Matt Corral. We talk about what, you know, I, 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 I guess maybe you and I talked about it after the show on Saturday, but – 
just in general, Neil and I discussed it. I mean, Alabama losing to Texas A&M, it brings Matt Corral right back into the Heisman race. Um, it allows him to to get hot, get through some games here, and maybe even be the favorite as the late in the season goes on. But, you know, beyond Matt or at least this offense, we still don't know what to make of this defense. They, they played so many freaking plays. I mean, Lane Kiffin talked about it on – on Monday about how you've got guys playing 90, 80, 70 plays in a game, which is ridiculous for defense. They don't seem to have a ton of depth. Tackling was a little bit of an issue. I guess my question is, we know the offense is likely going to score, but do we have a better idea on just how good this defense is? I mean, do we know that, you know, we we know to put a number around it because we keep talking about, hey, if they were a top 50, they might be this good or top 60 or whatever. But what level of improved are they from last year at this point? It really is hard to gauge because there's so many, I don't know if moving pieces or moving parts is the right way to describe it, but it feels like every game they've played has had some sort of caveat where they played pretty well against Louisville and it's actually like, well, Louisville was not, had not, didn't have a very good game plan and are we sure their offensive line is actually any good. And now it seemed like there's been kind of mixed opinions on whether Louisville was actually good or not. They had a stretch where they was like, oh, they might actually be okay. And then, honest to God, I don't know what they did last weekend, so I haven't kept up with that regard. They but blew then, a two-touchdown lead and, and got beat by Virginia. Okay, so, you know, I, I don't think Virginia's very good. So, again, still kind of mixed reviews there. Couldn't learn anything against Austin P. And then they were good-ish, I guess, against Tulane. And then uh, Alabama, it was just very clear that they were going to get gashed by the run and there wasn't much else they could do. And then you have last week where – it was a weird game because they give up 676 yards and 51 points, but with seven minutes and 28 seconds to go in the third quarter, it was 24 to 14 Ole Miss. And look, I, I get giving up 30 something points. What is that? 37 in the last 20, 30 or 22 minutes, whatever that is of a mm-hmm. football game. Not great. Probably don't want to do that. But like if you told Lane Kiffin going into the year, hey, every SEC opponent you play, they'll have 14 points with seven minutes to go in the third quarter. He'd probably take it. And I think the lack of depth really showed more. Everyone will talk about the 3-2-6 and how this isn't working. They're gashing, getting gashed against the run again. And I think there's some credence to that. I don't think that's completely off base at all by any stretch. But I thought after watching the game again, it probably spoke more to a lack of depth than anything because they did play so many plays and they got so worn down at the end to where the kind of – give up yards between the 20s, but try to bank on being pretty good in the red zone. It was sort of working. They got a turnover and a stop in the first half. The defense didn't, or the offense, excuse me, didn't do anything off of that. And so, like, there's been pieces and parts where the general idea of what they're trying to do is working, but then the margin for error is so small, and there seems to be a lack of creativity and kind of wrinkles to some of this. I think that that's probably where it kind of boils down to and actually determining how good they are because – I think they've looked fine in stretches. I don't think that answered your question, but, like, I've seen sporadic improvement. Like, where do you fall on it? Yeah, it's, it's that deal where they need, they need more bodies. The, the defensive backs, I don't know how to judge them, if I'm honest. I mean, it's something I kind of want to hear Pete talk about on, on Friday for the pregame show because I still feel like the safeties and corners have done a better job than I was anticipating, a better job than last year. But when there is zero pass rush, and there's no ability to, to, to get to the quarterback. I mean, like we talked about, KJ Jefferson literally putting the ball on his hip a couple times, letting routes develop, just waiting for dudes to run downfield. Well, nobody can cover that crap for six seconds, five, six seconds, whatever it is. I mean, so in some ways it's completely unfair to the secondary to judge them in some of those ways just because of the lack of pass rush. Um, you know, I know Weldon talked about it. You and I were discussing it before we started the show. 
getting more exotic, finding more ways to get to the quarterback, to put some pressure on it, to kind of mix up what the three-two-six looks like out of a base. It feels like a key to me because they've got to find a way to bring some pressure, to hurry some quarterbacks into some decisions because the way they're just getting picked apart is mainly because the quarterback has all freaking day. I mean, KJ was good. I didn't think he was great, but I thought he had one of his better games simply because he had so much time. And at some point, dudes are going to run open because the receivers in this league are so good. I mean, it's why with Tennessee, Tennessee is going to try to run the football. They're going to try to hit the big plays inside. I mean, it's very similar to an Ole Miss offense in, in a ton of ways. I mean, Lane talked about it and said that essentially, you know, when he was at FAU, Hypo was at UCF, and they've lived this and seen that it, it, it's two very similar systems running back to back there. Um, it feels like a track meet where this is a huge two-week sw- swing for Ole Miss and the standpoint of you play a Tennessee team but it's very much like you but you're probably the better version. It feels like Ole Miss is the higher-end version of Tennessee with the better quarterback, the better offense. And it's crazy as this is, maybe even a little more depth on defense because of what all Tennessee lost in the offseason because they had that just outflux of players um, that, that, that left the program with a portal situation. And then you play an LSU team that is in complete and utter freaking chaos in, in, in two weeks. This is potentially at Odron's last game if they lose to Florida and lose to Ole Miss prior to that bye week. So, to me, it was sort of a three – kind of a three-step plan in the middle of this schedule. They needed to get past Arkansas, get past Tennessee, and get past LSU. Games they're all going to be favored in. Games that they're just a better team, even though they're playing teams that can get them. And if you can find a way to run that, just play up to your potential – you're sitting really, really pretty there, I guess, six and one at the time when you go to Auburn, which will be a pretty tough game on the Plains that week. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It is a better – like, Ole Miss is kind of a slightly better version of it. The offenses are very similar. I was w- trying to watch a little bit of it today after I got home from work, just like what Tennessee did over the last two games. They destroyed two terrible defenses, but credit to them. There's a lot of teams that can't do that. And it's almost a, like a slightly faster version of Ole Miss. Like, they, they almost play with, like, more tempo, which – you know, if you've watched Ole Miss at times this year, that would seem hard to do. But they Tennessee does it pretty well in keeping keeping other opponents gassed, particularly ones with, with not much depth. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you on the all 3-2-6 aspect of it because on the other flip side of it, is it fair to the defensive linemen as well? Look, double teams happen. And, like, you'd like for Sam Williams to get out of a double team and be a little bit more consistent in getting after the pass rusher. But, like, Quentin Bivens or Katie Hill or – I mean, Cedric Johnson probably falls closer to the Sam Williams camp read. Probably like a little more out of him. Double teams happen in football, I think is how Weldon put it. But at the same time, seeing like a 270-pound defensive tackle or nose tackle just getting, you know, manhandled by two guards. And it's like at at a certain point, like, okay, they're not capable of doing this, so why not switch it up? It almost doesn't seem fair to either. And you saw it with Arkansas a little bit where – and I had one of those Arkansas guys on the podcast like last week and – I was asking him like about them getting more aggressive and blitzing this year because they've had a better defensive line, which is kind of the opposite of Ole Miss's problem. But he was like, look, Arkansas is not going to sit there and do the same thing for four quarters. And I kind of sat there and thought for a second. I was like, well, Ole Miss is. Like, they're absolutely going to do the same thing for four quarters. So I think there's got to be some sort of room for like middle ground, right? Because, and th- I, this is not a, like patting myself on the back moment. The TV operator, the camera guy for ESPN had this perfectly, but they went to like the sky cam on the Chance Campbell sack where he was clear as day he did the quarterback spy thing and then kind of delayed blitz. Well, the one time they did that, they got a sack. And then Weldon claims he didn't really see them do it again. There may have been a time or two, but why not try more of that? Like, it seemed like it worked in this fair moments they did it. So, yeah, I think they're going to have to, and that's going to be a key to this three-game stretch because I think particularly this week, 
Um, because it's, I think it's going to come down to one to two stops a half. And if one of these teams can create separations by stopping the other offense one or two times, that might be the difference in the game because the third leg of this, like you said, I hate to say it's becoming a gimme, but one more week of LSU getting beat over the head by Florida, what does that even look like? Is Ed still there? Like it's, it seems close to a gimme at this point because not only from they can't run the ball and yes, they should be talented defensively or soft. They kind of look like they gave up a little bit on Saturday night. Well, and then they are their best offensive man, the best defensive players are now out for a while as well. Maybe the season. I don't know. I, I didn't see the exact prognosis, but I mean, it's, it's going to be a while. So they're even getting thinner. Um, look, those guys are giving up quickly. I mean, Ed's lost the team, it looks like. I mean, there might be some sort of Custer's last stand for, for a week, but I, I don't see much of anything for them. It looks like they're going to be about Florida. They're going to be a pretty heavy underdog against Ole Miss because right now if you can run on if you can run at all, you can run on LSU and just gash them, hold the ball, set up the pass. I mean, Kentucky's pretty good on the ground, but they're not something great. They ran for over three bills. They went three and change on LSU on the ground. On, a, on Saturday, just manhandling a team that, as you said, was supposed to be more athletic, but they're just freaking not, you know, you know and I, I feel like that game sets up pretty well for Ole Miss to where, barring something crazy, if they play well, they're going to win it. Tennessee is the interesting one, and you, you, you're right. Tennessee has, you know, it doesn't happen in football as much as other sports, but those first-year coaches finding a way to get their teams to play above their heads. And it, maybe it comes back to life a little bit or co comes back to earth a little bit in year two and year three and whatever. But in year one, they can sort of elevate it. They, they, they can sort of get into a little momentum, get things going. I just don't know how much of that is what they've done and how much of that is because they played South Carolina and Missouri. And they played two teams that are pretty dreadful defensively at times that you can really run it up on them. Um, in saying that, you've got to make some plays. And, and, and defensively is where I sit here and look at what, what happened on Saturday and go, Ole Miss is eventually going to get bitten if it keeps getting into these complete and utter shootouts, you know, 52, 51, whatever it is you want to put it. Because if you bring pressure, like you said, I mean, Ole Miss defensively, they're never going to out-physical the other team and just shut them down. They're not Georgia. So it's about turnovers. It's about havoc plays. It's about doing some different things to create confusion. And I don't really get – and somebody can explain this and knows football better than I do, but Lane Kiffin goes for it on fourth down all the time because he says analytically you have a better chance and, hey, you're trying to keep the ball and you're trying to do all those things. To me, the version of that on defense is to bring pressure and try to create havoc because at the end of the day, if you get burned, what damn difference does it make if they're going to score anyway? All you're doing is getting the ball back. You're getting yourself more possessions. You're doing some different things to change the clock in your thing, and occasionally you might even hit some of those. You might get a sudden change play. You might get a defensive touchdown. You might get the interception you return back to the 10-yard line. It just feels like they would find ways to bring more pressure, be more creative in bringing it. Because, frankly, against Arkansas, when they did bring pressure, it didn't freaking get anywhere. But when they were able to pull that off and get there, maybe you turn it into something. I mean, it kind of reminds me, and I get it's not the best example in the world because this was a pretty decent defense, but – the same Super Bowl year, 2009, they were turnover freaks. Like, every time they had a chance at a turnover, they got it. They fell on loose balls. They created interceptions. They went into sacks. And you just take those extra chances because, A, your offense can make up for it because it's going to keep scoring points. You know that they're putting pressure on the defense. And you only need it to work once or twice in a game. And suddenly, you've created a couple extra possessions. You've done some things, and you've given your offense a chance to really kind of run by the opponent a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I hadn't thought about that from the analytics defensive side. Some of this analy – the analytics part, some of it has to be like a buzzword, right, more so than actually talking about analytics because I watched his post-game presser Saturday and Suss asked a good question about what he would have done in the two-point conversion. 
he's like, well, you know, analytics tells you probably to play for overtime because you're a home favorite. I'm like, is that analytics? Because I, I can hear it. So every person at the library saying the home home team plays for overtime, the, the road team goes for the win. So, I mean, I'm mostly kidding. I, there probably is some numbers to back it up, and he was probably not, you know, just completely blanketing the term analytics to cover every decision he makes. But I do agree. I think there's got to be some balance to it. And to add to what you're talking about, about just kind of being a little more reckless with the blitz. I don't know if reckless is the right term, but just aggressive. You're also not playing world beaters at quarterback. The best one might actually be Mac Johnson. I think this hooker kid, I haven't seen a ton of him, but clearly he was better than Milton, even though I got it and necessarily sure about it when it happened. But I mean, are you scared of Bo Nix? Are you scared of whoever A&M has at that point? I don't know anything about Haynes King coming back and what that's going to look like, but I know you're not scared of Zach Calzada. Not necessarily scared of anyone else left on your schedule. I think Max Johnson may be the most like talented um, in terms of just kind of beating you down the field. It's like, what do you have to lose there? And you know, the flip side of it, like you mentioned, like you might create another turnover or two and kind of bringing that back to the big picture part of what you're talking about, where I'm not really sure like what to make of this Tennessee offensive surge because it came against two pretty dreadful defenses. Well, when we're, your original question was, you know, what do you make of the defensive improvement or where they're at? Well, I think we would probably consider Ole Miss pretty dreadful in 2020, like probably comparatively to Missouri and South Carolina. And, you know, they weren't good at all against Alabama, but I would I would chalk that up to not necessarily being a fair fight. And they weren't good last week, but, like, does that 2020 defense get a turnover and two stops? And then after you – like, Ole Miss is up 24-21 after Arkansas mm-hmm. had all the momentum, goes for it on fourth down and doesn't get it. And to the defense's credit – I know KJ Jefferson missed a throw, but they did hold to a field goal, which proved to be pretty important in that game. Like there was some, like, I guess, benchmark of where they checked the box where it's like, okay, this is not, you know, totally like a knife slicing through butter. There's some resistance. And I think this is another probably pretty good measuring stick. If they go give up 60 something points and literally cannot get a stop, it's like, okay, maybe they are not improved. Like maybe they are very bad to whereas if they allow 30 something and they get you two stops in the second half it crucial moments you probably feel okay about it it would it would be helpful if they didn't play 95 plays because like in some ways prior to them being gassed I thought they did follow that other than getting the quarterback I didn't think they did enough to try to pull some different you know be creative do some different things to get there but otherwise yeah I think you're right because to me recovering fumbles and things are almost luck I mean there's not a lot of like oh you, you should be really really good at that they got Arkansas to put the ball on the ground several times. They just didn't fall on it. I mean, they had a shot at one to two more turnovers there on certain drives that they couldn't capitalize. So that's all you're trying to do. It's maximize as many opportunities in that way as, as you can do. So, yeah, no, it, it's better. There's no doubt about that. I mean, frankly, they look I, – I, I know that at different times Saturday it didn't look like this. Lane was very annoyed by the tackling. He was very annoyed by several things. He says it's something schematic in the three two six because they know it works if you do it right. They weren't doing it right. But to me, at least compared to last year and compared to the previous regime for damn sure, they look better coached. They look like they're at least in the right place most of the time. I mean, you know, sometimes that's a size speed thing to actually make the tackle. There are certain things about that you can't do unless your ability level is where it needs to be. But as far as like busting coverages that are ridiculous or you seeing where somebody has really got their eyes all off and you've got these huge gaps in the defense and different things. I mean, to me, it just looks more sound. I don't know if that's a credit to being year two in the system. I don't know if that's a credit to Dirk and Partridge. I, I, I don't know. That's, that's for somebody else to decide. But just from a straight, what does it look like? What is the eyes on it? 
I mean, I do. I, I think they're improvements in that way. They do. They look much better coached just as a unit. They look more cohesive. And some of that could be Chance Campbell just being in there to get them all in the right place. I think at times they just struggle with somebody on the field that could kind of be a traffic director and tell them where to go. Yeah, I agree. And I know Lane was upset about the tackling, but it's if you're looking at it from like a whole year perspective, I've used this example a couple of times, but it's when like opponents kind of throw something out in space, whether it's a bubble screen or something quick to the wide receiver with the idea is to make a guy miss and then really get into that second level with someone with a great deal of speed. Like I've, I've thought I've gone from thinking, oh, hell, this is probably not going to end well for them to actually they probably should make the tackle. I know they're not perfect. I know Otis Reese didn't necessarily play great on Saturday, but like he's one Finley's one of them where there's a couple of times where it's like, damn, they made a pretty good tackle in space there. Like I'm almost not as surprised by it anymore. So I think it's what kind of what you're getting at. And I guess the cliched coaching term is like one is tackling, but two, it's like populating the football, like being in the right spot at times. And I think Chance Campbell has played a pretty big part in that. So, yeah. I agree. It's not perfect. I'm sure there's some schematic breakdown still. Some of the tackling stuff, like you mentioned, is a talent thing, but they're in the right place most of the time. And I think you're kind of seeing them make the play more often because they're in the right spot more often to where, I mean, there are times in 2018 where every time someone threw the ball out on the perimeter, it's like, well, one guy's missing and then he's probably gone. And you're more surprised when he's taken down short of the line to gain. What's your initial reaction to this, uh, this John Gruden thing? I mean, he's out as Raiders head coach. It looks like the New York Times, uh, after the initial um, derogatory remarks he made about the, 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 the one black gentleman or just minorities in general or whatever it was, it looks like he has a pretty long history in his email of being demeaning and degrading to a lot of different uh, members of society, if you will. Um, not an isolated case, but for him to be out this quickly for a decision to be made like this, for a team that's played pretty damn well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a shockwave through the NFL tonight. Yeah, I, 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 like right before we hit record, I was just like, oh, John Gruden got fired. Like a lot of stuff going on right now in the sports world. I really don't know what to make of it. I'd like to sit down and read this New York Times piece. I caught a, the bulk of the whole Wall Street Journal, the Morris uh, Smith thing. And I, is he just angry email guy? I don't understand this. Like, so – like, email's a pretty public forum, even though it's your private email. Like, to me, on the scale of, of like, trying to – this sounds terrible. Like, I put a ton of thought into this. I promise I, I have it. But, like, it feels like you've like, – it would be easier to discover, like, emails than, like, your own personal text messages or stuff. Like, if you're really wanting to hammer some guy and just vent in a way that would not be appropriate or, you know, accepted by anyone uh, with any sort of decency, why in the world are you doing it on emails to, like – NFL officials. I, I don't understand this. Like what, I, I, how is he, I didn't know John Gruden. I would, if you'd have made me bet, I would have bet John Gruden's like, no, I don't have email. Like, you know, send me a postcard in the off season type of guy versus being big, angry email guy. That's my biggest shock so far. Clearly some of these remarks, I haven't read all of them yet. I've looked at some cliff notes as we were recording of like some of the excerpts. It's pretty, pretty brutal stuff, but I'm more surprised that he knows how to use email and that he's become angry email guy. How does that work? It, it, it is fairly amazing because you look at just college sports, you look at sports in general across the spectrum. Have we not learned by now in 2021 to not do stupid things in email? I mean, you, you hit a point that makes tons of sense here because it seems like for any public figure, any coach, whatever, something always comes back to some Freedom of Information Act. Like something's always in some email or something, something crazy that is popping people at this point. I mean, 
I know some people that go, nope, 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 not texting that. If you want to know that, call me. And now, I mean, you, you kind of completely get it. You know what I mean? You go, nope, nope, but we're, we're going to have a conversation. We're not going to do anything there in writing that could be ever traced back to whatever. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a fairly obvious thing when you're talking about some of these things Gruden has supposedly said or allegedly said or actually said if it was what was in the report. I mean, just some dumb stuff where you question so many different parts of this because – even when he was in Monday, in Monday Night Football, he had a desire to get back to the NFL. And you know that this stuff is never put to bed or never goes to sleep for good. It's always back out there. I mean, you've got that. You've got that he, you know, he emailed um, Allen that uh, the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, should not have pressured then Rams coach Jeff Fisher to draft, quote, um, homosexual term there. I'm not going to use it. Referring to Michael Sam. I mean, you've got so many things here where you look up at Gruden and go, what the hell are you doing? Yes, no, it's it's you're exactly right on that. Like it's the world you're alluding to that obviously cannot be used. It's like that's very obvious that can't be used in society today. And he's doing it in emails. That's the part I was kind of going to get at too. Like I think he nailed it. There it was like they're also very just. It's almost and I haven't read the full emails and. Shout out to the person that apparently had to go through 650,000 emails reviewed. I'm uh, reading an aggregation report from Yahoo based off it now. But that aside, it's very like childish, vulgar insults that someone with a halfway decent understanding of, you know, how social media and really just how to like be a functioning adult in society would know. You can't say that publicly or, you know, privately, even if you had the desire to. Like you always have to be careful, I guess, talking about stuff like this to where, like you start making light, like you start kind of harping on the stupidity of him doing it instead of like the contents of the words. But I think that it's pretty obvious the contents of these words are terrible. But even if he was that, like felt that way and wanted to to say these things that are very obvious that you cannot say. I mean, he used a lot of homophobic stuff. I'm still kind of going down the list. It, it's just very like elementary level, like low kind of I, low level insults, I guess. I don't even know a better way to describe it. That's another surprising aspect of it. Is it simply because you have no choice and it was so bad and so dumb as you're talking about? Because that's kind of what it looks like. But how quickly this moved. I mean, Davis went and found Gruden in the building today. They have a meeting and then he's out almost immediately. Is it something, too, where, I mean, do you think there was culture issues potentially inside that franchise? I mean, do you think there were things where maybe they weren't looking for a reason, but once this came out, there definitely wasn't enough capital to try to stick through it and see if you could, you, you could weather the storm at all? Yes, and I haven't, again, read a ton of this, and that one of the things I'm kind of interested to dive into after this is, so apparently one of the aspects of this report is that these emails spanned from 2010 to 2018, which I believe part of that would have overlapped with him. He became the Raiders head coach in 2018. So I'm curious if some of these emails were sent while he was an employee of the Oakland Raiders or during the hiring process and how much of a different that difference that makes in terms of disciplining him versus firing him. Cause you know, you can argue whether that should matter or not. It that really the point in this instance, like I wonder if that was kind of the thing that pushed it over the edge. The fact that this spanned to 2018 when he was either the Raiders coach or in the process of becoming the Raiders coach. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it looks like some of this is probably as the coach. Um, but the bigger thing is, as you said, it just, it, it shows lack of a regard and understanding for your position, the people you're dealing with. I mean, everything else, I mean, it just, it kind of defies logic when you know you're trying to get back to that, to that portion of, uh, 
of your career to, to, to coach in the NFL again. I mean, the whole thing is just kind of it, – it's it's incredibly strange. I mean, I, I kind of like you. I want to read a little more. I want to see where it's going and, and go from there. It just feels like there's a little more to it, even beyond the obvious, which is that stupidity in that matter likely cost him his job, if, uh, if nothing else. I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you, and I don't know how this is going to turn out. We'll see, whatever. But Neil and I were looking at Kentucky's schedule on Monday. They're – going to lose to Georgia but after that Mississippi State is potentially their most difficult game I mean it's a pretty cake schedule the rest of the way Kentucky has a chance at 11 and 1 just for the sheer kick of it let's say Ole Miss goes 10 and 2 so they lose one more time for the sugar bowl and now maybe you have to take a certain team maybe it has to be the way the rankings are I don't know but say you get your pick you want 11 and 1 Kentucky or you want 10 and 2 Ole Miss I mean, I think the answer would be 10-2 and two Ole Miss just in terms of the draw, particularly if it's the Sugar Bowl. Because it's close and it's corral. Yes. But at the end of the day, I mean, so there's probably room for Kentucky to go elsewhere in the New Year's Six, right? I mean, that's, that's – It looks like Atlanta and New Orleans would both be open to SEC teams that qualify. Wouldn't you have – I don't know how – I don't – I'm not privy to, like, the inner workings of how some of this bowl stuff works. Would you have a scenario where you have two bowls fighting for Ole Miss and the losing end comes out with Kentucky? Because wouldn't both of them rather have Ole Miss? Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. I mean, frankly, Atlanta – I mean, Alabama, if they don't get in the playoff, they're headed to one of these. Yeah. So it, could lose the, it could leave the other team picking between Kentucky and Ole Miss in this hypothetical. Don't you think the 11-1 and Kentucky probably gets it? Over like, like you rarely see an SEC team get yeah. screwed by another SEC team in that regard. Yeah, I think it. I, th- I think the loser in it would be like the say Alabama doesn't get into the playoff. Let's say they finish ten and I guess eleven and two, where they go eleven and one in the regular season. They lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, so they don't get into the playoff. Georgia gets into the playoff. I, I think that it would be that deal where the quote loser would be Ole Miss getting shifted down into like the Citrus Bowl to play Michigan or Penn State or somebody. Yeah, I think that would make the most sense. I would be curious. I guess it wouldn't really matter Ole Miss lost to. I mean, ten and, it's going to be an SEC team, so 10-2 and two is just kind of 10-2. and two. But, like, do you factor in the fact that Kentucky got to play South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Missouri? Missouri. Like, it, that, I, I, I would wonder if that would factor – and Mississippi State, depending on how that turns out. That's a pretty sweet draw. I'm not taking anything away from Kentucky. I think they're pretty good. Uh, if you want to go to a tiebreaker, it appears their first game – uh, against ULM was brought to you by Skyline Chili. So that should disqualify them uh, off top. I'm just looking at their homepage schedule right now. That That's a real dinger. If they have fans bringing that into your city, you probably got a rip. But, um, yeah, they'd probably go 11-1 Kentucky if I had to guess. I think your scenario is probably the most reasonable. So did you find any type of Skyline Chili that you like? So I like to poke fun at it because I still, like, know some people, whether it's, like like, social media friends or, like, people I met there. Um, I just thought it was average. Like, so it's all the same basically. Um, but they, it's all, it's almost like that, like how much they like throw it in your face. I mean, the reds for their cafeteria, they would have that like once a week or once every two weeks. Like it wasn't like a special occasion thing. And so it's like the, the swearing by it versus being like, yes, we have these here. Um, kind of like, I don't know, white castle or something else. I, I don't know. The West coast seems proud of having in and out. These people like get offended, I guess, when you say that you don't like it. I actually even, went a step further and just said, I think this is very average. I didn't like it on the noodles. I thought it was okay on a hot dog. Oh, it's but spaghetti I'm... noodles? Yes, pretty much. That's exactly what it is. And you can get it with cheese and all this other thing where it's a four-way or a five-way. You also got to know how to order walking in that place. 
and people look at it, you like you have an appendage growing out of your butt or something if you don't order the right way. Like it's intimidating to order at times. I just I was not a big Skyline guy, but I wasn't anti, and it almost drove me more anti how proud some of them were of it. Because I was just like, yeah, this is average, and it was just the same if I had said I wouldn't feed this to my dog. They were just as mad. How many different ways did you try it, trying to convince yourself that you could find a method that made you somewhat equal over there? I went out to a bar twice and got it on the hot dog and walked with it on the way back to my place um, and whomever I was with and ate it. And I was like, oh, this is fine. This is easy enough on the go. And then the only other way is just some sort of variations with the noodles. And I was out on that from the start. You could have put anything on it. I don't know if there's a nine way. I wouldn't have enjoyed that. Anything with the noodles aspect of it, um, I didn't enjoy it. But if I want to give them one nice thing in return, they have two of my favorite beers in the world. Great craft beer there. And uh, the Grater's ice cream that they're known for is uh, pretty, pretty solid as well. Just not a chili guy. So what kind of ice cream? It's called Grater's ice cream. And uh, you know, I'm not a, a dairy, like, treat savant. Uh, I'm not familiar with that industry. But it is very good, like, quality ice cream. I don't know how they make it. Seems like more of, like, the soft-served. Um, whatever that ice cream is that's not ice cream that people want to say is fancier with gelato, like, uh-huh. kind of in that neighborhood. It's very good, though. And the beer was awesome. Yeah, for anybody who is unaware of uh, of Skyline, three way is with the, uh, the the spaghetti covered with their uh, their chili and then topped with not just a little shredded cheese, but a mountain of shredded cheese. It gets it's then, cheese with chili and uh, some stuff underneath it. Like that could be best more accurately described. I mean, I mean, I, I'm I'm being a little facetious here, but it's probably what almost a pound of cheese. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, now looking back at it, I wish I might have brought out a scale at one point because the first time I do remember I messed up the order at the ballpark part of it or the cafeteria instead of getting the coney. I got it, and I looked at that guy in sheer shock of the amount of cheese that he put on that. I was like, did, was this a two-man job? Did you get all this cheese on this by yourself? Like, I was, I was blown away by it. I had to dig with a fork through the cheese to make sure everything else was there. So it, it's a lot. It's hard to overstate how much cheese is on that. And then if you go a four-way, you're getting onions or beans. And then five-way is onions and beans for anybody who's unaware. So that's uh, that's how it works. I mean, I, I, I've spent a good bit of time in Louisville. And, like, even there, you'll get, like, some Cincinnati crossover because it's only, like, what, an hour, hour and a half away or whatever it is where people still have a lot of uh, extreme opinions about their chili, even in Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati is basically kind of like a northern Kentucky city, right? I mean, hell, even the airport is in northern Kentucky. So I view, like – Cincinnati and Louisville as more one in the same than I would as like Columbus and Cleveland, if that makes sense. So there's definitely a ton of overlap because I, I, the only reason like I took, took a trip to Louisville to voluntarily get like yelled at by five just so I could have a like, six pack of that beer to bring back home because I knew I couldn't get anywhere else. So tons of overlap, but I was certain it was going to be there. Yeah, you went during that – it was the midweek Louisville trip when Ole Miss was up there. They ended up going on a run later in the season, but they kind of sucked at that point. They get swept during that during that midweek. It you had it in your mind that you were going to cover it, but part of your ulterior motive was because of the beer. Yes, like I wanted to go cover that game, but yes, that was definitely a big part of the trip. I mean, the day after the first game, I like figured out which like gas station or like whatever beer store had it, and made sure I stocked up because you can't mail beer to Mississippi. And like I'm not a huge like craft beer snob. Um, like at all, but I've really, I lived by right by this brewery. It's called Mad Tree and I really enjoyed it. So I was like, look, like I'm here. Like, yes, it was definitely on my mind going up. Um, 
that was a uh, that was them discovering Doug McKenzie was probably going to save their bacon. The seeds of that were planted up there as bad as it was. He was about the only pitcher that was good that day, and they're like, we should probably keep trying this kid. Fall ball going on right now. We're not going to spend any time on this at all. We'll, I, I think I have a media op later in the week for, for it. But just in general, Ole Miss counting on a lot of transfers on the mound. I mean, they, they could have some guys surprised, but it's a lot of incoming guys, a lot of transfers. Is it safe? I know you weren't around the team last year all the time, but, I mean, you're pretty aware of this program at this point. Is it safe to say that this has as weird of a feel to it as any season going in in a long time? I mean, some of it's Mike's dalliance with LSU in the offseason. Some of it's another super regional loss. But then some of it is just having to retool the pitching staff to this point with probably transfer portal guys. I mean, look at John Gaddis has pitched pretty well in the fall from Corpus Christi. Uh, the Washburn kid coming in from Oregon State is throwing pretty well. I mean, they, they, they like a couple of Juco arms and different things. There's a certain amount of prove it to me that this fan base has. There's also so much in kind of uncertainty around this team other than the offense. It's probably going to mash, but what does that look like with pitching staff as they are? It, it's created a bit of a coverage conundrum that I don't know what to do because I know people still want baseball coverage. I know that there's, you know, the, 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 the vocal people who go, Hey, really nothing matters. We don't want to hear about any of it. That's not necessarily everybody that, that follows on the website or the podcast or whatever, but I don't know what to do because I feel like every story does have the caveat of no matter how good they are right now, or no matter what it looks like, it does feel like such an end of season decision here where Mike's tenure is up in the air However, whatever result it is, it's simply a postseason result. Nothing in the regular season can satisfy or determine complete failure in that matter. I mean, I feel like there's so much irrelevance in the regular season, even more so than usual, that I am. I'm having a very difficult just how do I cover this baseball team right now. Yeah, if you're going there with the weird feel aspect, I will, because I was thinking sort of the same thing. But, I mean, you've been around longer than I would. You would know that as well. I, I found it bizarre as well. It would honestly be – a fascinating team to cover in some ways. Some of the things, like one thing I would note is like trying to think of the best way to describe this. 19 had this feeling because of how bad that day in June, whatever in 2018, the Tennessee tech deal was. And it was like, is the regular season even going to matter? It's going to be all about the postseason. And then you kind of had the same thing with 19 going into the 20 season, at least during the off season. I felt like I felt that way. 21 was a little different just because of the bizarre circumstances of not having a season after they've started the year so well in 2020. But there was a little bit of that feel, particularly when they started struggling in that little stretch in April, the Starkville debacle, um, which still before we joined the Rebel Group was our most listened to podcast. So I appreciate Mike for that one. People were hot and heavy that day. But I guess what I'm trying to get is there were some elements of this to the last three years, maybe not to this degree, but I still do think when they roll the balls out and they start playing games that count. And if Ole Miss wins a big series or has a, you know, good weekend early in the year or a good start to SEC play, people will buy back in again and be wanting to talk about it and consume the content, even if in the back of their mind it's, okay, it's postseason or bust. Because then, you know, Ole Miss lost one of their their best pitcher potentially, second best, I guess, behind Doug. But that was still kind of the feel. Like fair or unfair, these last two years, you just simply haven't been as good as the other team. But that still kind of manifested itself in the postseason. But I do think, like, some of that will go away once they get in season. But you're absolutely right. It is a bizarre vibe because on top of that, you're having to retool this pitching staff to, like, the way I view it is, how are they, are they going to waste this offense or not? Because they got mm-hmm. potential to be kind of all-time good. 
can you develop enough not to waste it? I think that's fascinating. It almost has to look a lot like Arizona last year, frankly. Yep. Where you get enough arms to kind of salvage it. You know, you find ways to get some depth. You do different things. But, I mean, you don't even know what, you know, what, you don't even know what injuries could look like. I mean, you know, Derek Diamond's had some velocity issues. He had whatever's going on in his arm. You know, that, that they're getting a lot of uh, a lot of heavy, high-velocity high fastballs here in the fall, but those don't always translate to the spring. Why is that? I mean, there's just – there's kind of questions about just the overall program management right now, I feel like. It's, it's always been the case, but maybe not the case in such an upfront sort of front-door way that it is right now. You, you mentioned that podcast against State. I remember you getting really good numbers. Did you, like, throw a bunch of haymakers? Were, were, were you letting them have it, or was it just everybody was so pissed off they were looking for any content that day? What was going on? So, you know, our, our dear friend Colin Brister is, to his credit, like, not to his credit, he's, he's great on the podcast. That was really what kind of allowed, like, this whole, like, little independent section of the podcast to, like, I guess get any sort of interest at all. He was awesome on it. He uh, knows more Ole Miss baseball numbers than probably anyone should know. But he was kind of like he'd come in, in years past, kind of let Mike have it, whether it's on Twitter or wherever. He's a little more tame, a little more reserved on the podcast. So it wasn't haymakers. It was – you remember watching that. I was texting you through some of that as well. It was mm-hmm. utter disbelief that he was – like the whole going to mallets was yeah. like not even on anyone's radar. And so it was so – devoid of logic you didn't really have to throw any haymakers it was simply just outlining here's four things you could have done and you did a fifth thing that no one else even had on the radar type of thing and the whole dynamic with the bullpen stinking before broadway thing was brewing at the same time so it was less about that but i would say very emphatically outlining why this made no sense and how it cost them a because you could even tell in that moment that game was going to be potentially huge for them in terms of series win, series loss, and where they're going to end up at the end of the year. So less haymakery, but very uh, vocal um, voicing of how 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 poor that decision was. So kept you longer than I meant to. Kind of last thing, I'm just sort of curious. You're, like I said, we're back in the Metro- Metroplex. I mean, you you've got a little bit of a drive to to work. I don't know necessarily know what you look what you listen to, but what is What's sort of the sports mood around there? I mean, do you get like a lot of college stuff? I mean, is there Texas or whatever, or is it is it pretty much just a Cowboys town this time of year? No, it's a it's it kind of depends on where you go. Um, in parts of it there are, but when you like I moved into West Village and that's it, you've been around there. It's not far. This whole area, you when you went out to Dallas and we're out there, yeah. like the whole area of pockets and neighborhoods has a lot of younger folks. And a lot of SEC folks, it's a ton of Arkansas, it's a ton of Texas, it's a decent amount of Oklahoma, and then your other SEC transplants mixed in. And so on Saturdays around here, you know, I haven't gotten the full feel of it. I had a couple weekends here, and then last year was different because of COVID. But there is a lot of college football. They have, you know, school-centric bars and stuff like that. And, I mean, I'm looking at an Alabama flag outside my window. So it's college enough. But – kind of when you get out to the Arlington area or like maybe more Plano or kind of Frisco where the star is and all that, it's definitely more Cowboys. Look, college football does not compare to the Cowboys around here. I mean, on a Sunday afternoon, no matter where mm-hmm. you go, it's, it's even more so than I thought, but there is other stuff mixed in and people kind of like the hockey team around here a decent bit. And then, you know, having a generational talent uh, on your NBA franchise is pretty neat as well. Like people, people really kind of bought into the whole Luca thing as well. So it's, I would say it's a pretty good blend, but on Sunday afternoons, Cowboys trump everything, and it's not close. 
how do you rate the other ones? I mean, in, in order of importance, just all around for people in that area, stars, rangers, maps. It's an interesting question, honestly. I've had, I probably, as weird as it's said, like, to say, I've only been here a year. And honestly, that's probably still not enough time to get a good feel because you had the weird COVID year where the stars were in the cup, like during August and September, they made the Stanley cup that year. And then for part of the NBA season, you couldn't go to games. Actually, most of the regular season is very limited. So I'm probably not the best guy to rank on this. And y'all are going to have some uh, DFW uh, guys on the board probably vehemently disagree with this, but I'll just throw it out there. It's Cowboys, obviously. I would venture to say when the Rangers are good, they're actually probably number two um, because that seemed like a pretty big deal and they were absolutely horrendous. And then I'll go Mavs three, and then look, hockey's hockey stars are four. Um, the soccer team apparently has that kid that's really good. I don't know why he's playing in the MLS. I might have to get Weldon on the next edition of the soccer corner to explain that to me. But the Pepe right. kid apparently plays for the Dallas team. Wasn't aware of that. But I'll go Rangers two, Mavs three, hockey four. I think I feel pretty good in that, but who knows? I could be wrong. Also, the same thing about that is it's, it's, it's fairly impressive – just as an all-around sports city, because, I mean, the stars are very well-respected. So to be fourth, that's a pretty heavy good fourth there, If you, even even when you, you put them last. I mean, that means they they kind of project all of them pretty well. I mean, there's nobody that's sort of the, the sister left behind, you know, kind of like in New Orleans where it's like Saints, and then you have to fall off stories of building to get down to the Pelicans. Oh, yeah, there's no drop-off between the four at all. I mean, honestly, you'd have to go Cowboys to whatever's next, but that's not even a fair fight. But, yes, there's huge interest level. I was – I mean, you've been to hockey games. They're fun. Like, when you have one in your city, I feel like I could see how you could get invested in it even though you don't know the rules. Maybe some of them know the rules. I don't. But, um, like, when they've had them a long time, I could see how you could get behind the hockey team because it's a very fun product to watch, particularly in person. Yeah. All right. Well, I kept you long enough. Brian, appreciate you uh, filling in. Enjoy the week. and We'll talk to you again on Saturday. Absolutely. Anytime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.